This, you said that man does not live by bread alone, but by the words that proceed from the mouth of God. Today, as we come to your word, we pray that it will bring life to all of us. We pray, Lord, that your spirit will bring a light, shine it into our hearts and into our minds, that we may see and hear a truth today that we need to hear for ourselves. And that, Lord, that truth will bring transformation to us and be used to channel transformation to us as you use us, Lord, as you send us out into the world of our local sphere of influence. Holy Spirit, come and speak to each of us now. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things about the good news, as we like to call the gospel, is that there is bad news with it. Oftentimes, accompanied with good news is bad news. Now, I don't remember having lots of old relatives. You know, the, the, the life expectancy has grown dramatically over my lifetime. But one of the things that we recognized as, as I was a young adult and getting older, I had a great aunt who had hearing loss. And then I found out there was another aunt who had hearing loss. So one of the things that I began to learn was that hearing loss runs in our family. Well, as my mom got older, she didn't hear so well. And we would say to her, Mom, go see the doctor. You could take care of this. But she would go, what? What? And this went on. I mean, not just one year or two years or even three years. It went on and on and on. By the time my daughters were teenagers and they were so tired of it, when mom would come and spend the week with us, they would mess with her. And they would be around the island, and my mom would be there, and they would begin talking like this. And they would have a conversation. And my mother would be like, what? 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 And I would walk in and catch them doing it, and i go, stop that. That's cruel. And then my mother would get all angry. Now, my mother was the sweetest lady in the world as far as I was concerned. So when you saw her get angry... It was like watching somebody who is sweet and frail act like John Wayne and Iwo Jima right in the movie. I, it just was funny. Finally, my mom decided that I could take her to the doctor and she would get her ears checked. And lo and behold, she had hearing loss, but they could help her with hearing aids. And so she got hearing aids. And then she confessed to me later, I don't know why I waited so long. You know, my mom couldn't get to the good news of her situation until she accepted the bad news and embraced the problem. And that's often the case for us. When we think about positive change, or what I'd like to call transformation, it generally occurs only after we acknowledge and accept that we have a problem. 
Consider those who are healed from addiction. They are not healed unless they are willing to admit that they are addicted. Or consider those who want to uh, have a marital problem fixed. It will not get fixed until they admit they have a marital problem. That one's even harder because it takes two people to work at it and two people to admit it. Avoidance, apathy, displacement, blaming others, minimizing rationalization. These are all ways that we push away the bad news when it comes to us. When the problems that we have that need to be addressed are pushing in on us. Now why do we do this? Why do we resist looking at a problem and fixing it? Why do we resist change and transformation? Why do we resist what may absolutely be great for us? And the answer lies perhaps, well, the answer lies in us. Perhaps it frightens us. Perhaps it depresses us and makes us sad. Perhaps it's very painful for us. Perhaps it's so convicting that we're just racked with guilt because of it. Perhaps we like it and don't want to change it. Perhaps we want to punish ourselves, even though it is punishing others who love us. Until we face the problem and admit that we need to change, we will never be delivered from it, we will never solve it, and we will never be transformed. Now last week, Pastor Tim from... First Kings showed us a picture of the gospel in a confrontation between the prophet Elijah and the king Ahab. It was a picture of the whole gospel. There was the bad news which Elijah delivers to Ahab and tells him that death and destruction is awaiting him and his family. There will no longer possess the throne of Israel because he has committed murder to take a vineyard. He's been unjust and unrighteous and God will judge and condemn him for this. We would expect, based on what we know of King Ahab, that he would resist. That he would threaten Elijah. Instead, remarkably, he begins to grieve. He puts sackcloth on, ashes over his head, and he fasts and prays. And as a result, he receives the good news in which he is spared from that judgment. Listen in Kings 21-29, what God says to Elijah. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. 
Now this week, unlike last week, we will not see the whole gospel. We will not see the bad news and what happens with the good news. The truth is, we won't get past the bad news. Ahaziah, who is his son, and who has taken over the throne, refuses to accept his sin against Yahweh. He is defiant toward God, and he is unwilling to repent. And what follows in his life is not God's mercy, but rather God's condemnation, death, and the end of his family's reign. He is a living example of the truth of what God's Word says. We read in 2 Thessalonians 2.10b, those who are perishing, they have refused to love the truth and so be saved. That's not to say the truth is always easy. It isn't. I like to say about God, He's always good, but He's not easy. And He's not easy because He often gives us the truth which is hard sometimes to receive. And he's not easy because sometimes he chooses to use suffering in our life and persecution in our life to further his purposes in our life, in the kingdom of God, and in all of eternity. Now the big idea today is this, that the gospel includes the whole truth. There is no new, no Good news, until we are able to accept the bad news. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 1. If you haven't opened up your Bible, I invite you to do so. If you don't have a Bible, look in the seat underneath in front of you. There'll be Bibles there you can read along with. Now the first thing that we read in this chapter is the context. And I'm going to just explain it. For now, we'll read along throughout pieces of the chapter. The context is that King Ahab is dead. His son, Ahaziah, is king. And he inherits a mess. Moab is rebelling against Israel. And Ahaziah has had a terrible accident. He's fallen through the lattice of the upper chamber, and he is gravely ill. He seeks to know his future, so he calls messengers to go and find out, and he sends them to the god of Ekron, Belzebub. He wants to know if he will live or die. Now remember that name, Belzebub. We've heard it in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus heals a mute, There are some people who believe, but there are other people who say that he is healed by Beelzebub. And he, and they, and, and Luke says he is the prince of demons. So by the time the New Testament comes, it is clear that this God is the prince of demons. Now, the spelling in Luke is slightly different than the spelling here in 2 Kings. Scholars tell us that the Hebrew writer was making a play on words. 
Baalzebub, in the words of Luke, means Lord of the dwelling. But the way it is spelled in 2 Kings in Hebrews means that he is Lord of the flies. The literal translation is Lord of dung, where flies like to manifest. Now the chapter goes on to define the problem. And in this, God sends Elijah to meet the king's messengers who are going to Beelzebub to see whether he will live or he will die. Let's read verses 3 through 6. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king and said to him, and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us. And he said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, it is because there is no God, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up but you shall surely die. Azahiah becomes very disturbed and he says to his messengers, describe the man to me on the road. And as they do, he is fully aware of who this man is. He is Elijah. He is who Ahab, his father, labeled the troubler of Israel. He is bringing trouble once again. He is the great prophet who stood against the 450 priests of Baal and who called down fire from heaven to prove that Yahweh is the God of Israel. Ahayas is defiant. He remains in his sin, unrepentant. What God has asked in the question through the prophet is why he would seek an answer from the one who is not the God of Israel or Samaria as we understand it here. Why would he go to this false God? when the God of Israel is available to him. He has sinned against Yahweh. He has no fear of the Lord. 
He does not respect the Lord's prophet. And what we learn is that he doesn't even pause to reflect for a moment. Maybe, just maybe, this could be a problem. His arrogance and his pride have blinded him to the truth. He has rejected Yahweh for another. And isn't that true of us? Our pride and our arrogance is what blinds us to the truth. When I asked my mom, why didn't you just go and get hearing aids? She said, because it would be an admission that I'm old and people would see my hearing aids and I'm vain and didn't want to. Her pride kept her from getting to the good news. That's so often the case with all of us. Then we read about Ahia's response. He calls for 50 soldiers to come forth and instructs the captain to go and arrest Elijah and bring him here. The king is determined that this prophet will either recant this prophecy or he will die with him. Let's read verses 9 and 10 to see what happens to them. Then the king sent to Elijah a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of the 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. And the fire came down from heaven and consumed him and the 50. Word gets back to the king. The king does not care. He does not fear the Lord. He does not fear the Lord's prophet. He will not pause and reflect. He simply is going to impose his will. This is a power encounter for him, and he is the king. He is the ultimate authority in his kingdom, as far as he is concerned. So he calls for another contingent of soldiers, and he sends them out. And what do you think happens to them? The same exact thing. Elijah calls down fire on them, and they are destroyed. Once again, word gets back to the king. No doubt to the king's soldiers in court. Once again, Ahias does not care. He does not fear the Lord. He does not fear the Lord's prophet. He will not pause and reflect at all. He is bound and determined to impose his will upon Elijah. His arrogance and pride have complete control over him. He figures that more soldiers will do the trick. Then we learn of the third captain and his response. This captain is not so arrogant as the ones who went before him. He is not so proud and he is certainly not enamored with the power of 50 men against Elijah. He has heard what has happened to two contingencies of soldiers. 
when they faced Elijah. Wisely, he approaches Elijah differently. Look at verses 13 through 15 with me, will you please? Again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire has come down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of the 50 men with their 50s. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him and do not be afraid of him. So Elijah arose and went down with him to the king. It does not tell us whether this captain of the guard is a follower of Yahweh or not. At best he is. At worst he is least wise enough to consider what has happened to the two contingents of soldiers who've gone before him. He accepts the bad news that he has to go and at least deals with it in a different way, in a wise manner. One of the things that we recognize is that he humbles himself before the prophet Elijah. He humbles himself in physical posture when he fell on his knees. And he humbles himself in the manner of his speech when he entreats, that is, he seeks kindness. And he acknowledges that Elijah has the power to destroy him and his men. God tells Elijah to go with this man and these soldiers. And Elijah does. And then we see the last part of this movement in the chapter, which is condemnation. We see the end of the power encounter between Ahiaz and Elijah, who is really a surrogate for Yahweh. What we see is that it ends in tragedy for the king and for his family. Read with me in verses 16 and 17. And he said to the king, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from your bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So the king died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahiaz had no son. And so what Elijah had prophesied to King Ahab when he had repented, that this judgment would come down upon his son. It has come down upon his son. What we see in this condemnation, what led to it was that there was no fear of the Lord. There was no respect for the Lord's prophet. There was no willingness to pause and reflect, to even consider that he might be wrong to ask for forgiveness or to plead for mercy. 
it leads to death and destruction. And the same is true for all who reject God and His saving love through Jesus. Now throughout this year, we are working at looking through God's Word, the lens of His Word, at this third movement of our mission statement, which is sending out, right, as empowered disciples to transform the world, that we are sent out, but that we as a church also send out, as we did this morning with the Laboos. And we are meant to be agents of transformation. As we consider Elijah, we have an opportunity to look at his example and learn how God would use all of us to bring transformation to the world. And the value of that for us is so that we can better partner with the Lord. That we can be better instruments of the Lord's Spirit as we seek to transform the world. As we seek to give them the best news ever. The awesome news of God's saving love through Jesus. While Elijah was a prophet, and it ends badly for Israel because they do not repent. They are not transformed. Elijah is still considered to be an exalted servant of the Lord. He is lifted up on high, even in the New Testament. It is when Jesus, right, is transfigured, the two people that the disciples see with him are Moses and Elijah. He is esteemed as God's servant. And so he is a model of an empowered servant of the Lord that brings hope and transformation to the world. Now the application for us is that we might be more like Elijah. What do I mean by that? Well, God sent Elijah to Israel. And God sends us to the ever-expanding geography of the world. First, to our Jerusalem, which is our immediate geographical area. And then, to our Judea, which is a larger geographical sphere. And then, to Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. We have global partners from our church that are close in proximity. Some of them are here in the States. Some of them, like um, Mr. Christians, he's in Russia, right? Yeah. And we're throughout Europe. And now we'll have a global partner in Singapore. These ever-widening circles. Sorry, David. <laughs> God empowered Elijah with his spirit. Well, God also sends us as his empowered disciples. God has given us the Holy Spirit to take up residence within us, to not only produce sanctification in our life and make us more and more like Jesus, but to also empower us to carry on the works of God. Right? And to model and transform that life of becoming, right? Because we're not perfect, but we are becoming. We are growing. We are learning. 
And finally, God used Elijah through his obedience. His words and his deeds. And God uses us through our words and deeds as well. And I want just to take a moment to talk about that. Why word and deed is important, especially in our culture today. If you just speak with words and who you are and the deeds you engage in do not reflect consistency with those words, what do we call you? A hypocrite. And nobody's going to listen to you. But deeds go with words as well. There are many of us who've tried to focus on the deeds and not worry about the words. When we do that, and we try to exemplify the goodness of God by our care and our concern for those who are on the margins of society, those who are oppressed, those who are dealing with social injustice, those who are helpless and vulnerable, when all we do is these good deeds, but we don't say why we're doing them, who is the source of that in our life? We have muted the gospel. We have lost our voice. I don't know if you've ever lost your voice, but I have. I've lost it because of a surgical procedure. I spent a week in which I couldn't talk. Now, Italians, yeah. So I'm talking with my hands in all kinds of ways. And if you're Italian, you understood me. If you weren't, you couldn't. But I'll tell you, it is very difficult to be mute. It is difficult to communicate anything important. And when we mute ourselves by just doing our good deeds, the things that God would call us to, but we don't give words to it, we don't testify to it, people miss it because the gospel has been muted. Listen to what we read in Romans. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If we don't speak and proclaim the truth about Christ, the gospel is muted. And the power of God that wants to come through us is minimized. Finally, a similarity between us and Elijah is that God used Elijah as an agent of hope and transformation. And God promises to use us as agents of hope and transformation as we proclaim the truth of His love for this world through Jesus, in our words and in our deeds. To proclaim the gospel, my friends, is to proclaim the whole truth, though. We don't get to pick and choose what we want. Transformation will not occur unless people hear and accept the need to be changed. 
The gospel is not just the good news and the parts we like. The gospel also includes the bad news of what is and what needs to be fixed. We lift up the founding fathers and often think of them as very religious men, and many of them were. Thomas Jefferson was considered to be a religious man. But when you looked in his Bible, one of the things that they found is he would take verses he didn't care for, and he would just cross them out. They didn't exist. They were bad news. And he didn't want to deal with that. Some of us are doing that in our life all the time, aren't we? And sometimes when we're witnessing to people, we don't want to tell them the bad news. You know, when I first became a Christian, I kind of pushed back against evangelicals, even though I was a born-again Christian. Because, boy, the ones that I ran into, they love telling you the bad news. You're going to hell if you don't accept Jesus. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I accepted Jesus because I love God. He loves me. Why wouldn't I love him back? And you want me to accept him because I'm going to hell if I don't? And you're smiling? Why are you smiling like that? Why aren't you sad for all the people that aren't going to make it? Are you just happy because you're in and the rest are out? There's a lot for us to consider in all of this. You know, we can present the bad news if we do it with love. If people know we genuinely love them, then when we share the bad news, it's with a heavy heart. Not because we delight in it at all. We share the whole news because people matter. They're important. Consider John 3.16. John 3.16 may be the most famous verse of all, and I just want to read it with you through 17. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It goes on in verse 17 to say, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This is good news. Guess what? One more verse. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, good news, bad news. The Gospel is the whole truth. The beginning of that is encouraging and hopeful. But it is not the whole truth. There is judgment coming. And those who do not trust God and God's plan for us, His love through Jesus, condemnation awaits them. The bad news is that the great and terrible day of the Lord is coming and everyone will be judged, all of us. Everybody sitting here, everybody who's ever lived, everybody in the world, judgment is coming. But the Bible says that the judgment that is coming, some will receive condemnation and eternal torment. And for them, we grieve. Some will be judged to mercy and eternal life. Not based on good deeds, but based on God's mercy. Because we have believed in His Son, Jesus.
and accepted what He did for us on the cross, shedding His blood for the remission of our sins. So by trusting in Him, we are made clean. When we come to that place, we can repent of our sin, we can trust in God, and we can begin walking with God's Spirit every day. No one will escape the final judgment. Why now? And do I bring all this up to us? Well, I do because I want to encourage you not to shy away from the hard things that may need to be said. But I want to encourage you that when you do say them, say them in love. My brother-in-law came to faith, ah, it's got to be 20 years ago, honey. Not quite. Not quite. But we were praying like for 15 years for him. Love that guy. Great guy. And one day he came to the Lord and he became a believer. I mean, filled with the Holy Spirit and he is on fire for the Lord. I sit down. He's probably a new believer, first year or whatever. I'm having dinner with him. My wife is there. And he said, okay, let's start with uh, a blessing. I'll offer a prayer. And he begins the prayer, Lord, as we sit around this table now, I want you to save my wife and my daughter from hell. And, and he goes, <laughs> he's going through a litany of this terrible stuff that's coming, and he wants them to get saved. And then he finally gets around to blessing the food. So we ate dinner. He had to run an errand. I said, John, do you mind if I go run an errand with you? He said, no, not at all. So I get in the car. I say, hey, before you start this car over, we got to have a conversation. I don't know if you think your family is struggling with your witness, but I can promise you they are. This ain't the way to do it. Don't hammer with you're going to hell if you don't do this. That's the truth. But don't hammer them with that. Love them into the kingdom. We have to share the truth, but in, in love. Now, it's many years later, he's in a prison ministry, and he tells me last weekend when we were visiting, he was working with a couple of volunteers. They're from another church. And they were excited to be able to help these prisoners and their families. And this couple was talking about doing this and serving the Lord in this way. And they were talking about living together, unmarried. And they were going on and on and on. And finally, my brother-in-law said, when they brought up God's Word and how valuable it is, he just asked a question. How, how do you interpret infidelity? I mean, uh, um, fornication. How do you interpret fornication? The conversation stopped hard word. But he didn't say it in a mean way. He just brought the truth to them. And when he told me that, I was so proud of him because I saw a different man who made a wonderful witness. He spoke the hard word that they need to examine for themselves. And I imagine it is a word that they will examine for a while. And if they will take the time to examine God's word, it will lead them out of where they are into where God wants them to be. I've seen that happen time and again in my years as a pastor. See, 
we shouldn't shy away from the hard stuff. We have to present the bad news and be part of that delivery to give the good news. But when we do it, we need to do it with love, folks. It's out of our concern for people. It's out of our concern for their eternal state and condition. We want them to know the love of God and live in the fullness of God's blessing and love. Each of us, each of us needs to be willing to accept the whole truth of the gospel for ourselves. That means a willingness to look at our own sinfulness against God and others. And yes, even after we have received Jesus, we still make those mistakes. We still engage in those sins. And we must be willing to accept the bad news, the hard truth, the whole truth, so that we can repent and we can seek forgiveness and we can reconcile wherever possible. And when we do that, we become messengers of the gospel. We can bring the truth in love to others. Jeff Vanderstelt wrote a book called Gospel Fluency. It's an excellent book. And for those of you who are so minded, I'd encourage you to read it. He essentially says that as children of God, you and I need to commit to immersing ourselves in the gospel so that we see our life through the entire grid of the gospel. Our words and our deeds need to be aligned with this gospel so that we can better communicate it to others. My friends, I want to encourage you today. Do not be afraid to share the gospel with others. It's your privilege. It's your joy. It's the best thing that you can give to anyone. When my children were born, I said the greatest thing I could give to them would be to help lead them to the Lord. There was nothing better I could give them as a dad. I'm sure that many of you can relate to that. You have something great to give to everyone. It's the gospel. But the gospel contains the whole truth. The bad news with the good news. People will not be transformed unless they hear and accept the awful truth along with the awesome truth of God's love through Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty and Heavenly Father, we thank you.